Friends, would you please stand with me as we hear the Lord's word read? This morning I'm reading from Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 23. Again, if you would listen to the Lord's word. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are mere shadow, uh, a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. This is the Lord's word. Please be seated. Again, our Lord, we thank you for the day, and we thank you for your word, and I pray that your blessing be both upon this servant and upon your people. I ask, Father, that you would give us strength, strength to preach and strength to hear, and we pray, Lord, that you would keep Satan away, that he would not steal away the seed of the gospel, and I pray, O Lord, that we would come today to rejoice in all that you have done on our behalf. We bless you and praise you, Father for the great deliverance you have accomplished for us. In Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. When we were last together two weeks ago uh, in this chapter, we considered the fact that the believer in Christ is made complete. He is as righteous as he can be because of what Jesus Christ has done for him. You have in Jesus Christ, believer, all that you need. Remember what Paul said. He said you were dead in your transgressions in the uncircumcision of your flesh. You could do nothing to bring yourself to life. And then he says, after saying that they were dead in their transgressions, he says, but God made you alive together with him. How? Having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, 
and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The picture that Paul portrays of this whole scenario is of a king who has defeated his enemy. So in the ancient days, when a king defeated the enemy, he would strip them naked, he would take away all of their their swords, their weaponry, and then he would parade them through the town as if to say, we have made this enemy completely ineffectual. It no longer has any standing. It no longer has any power over you at all. And this, says Paul, is what Jesus Christ has done as he has portrayed his great defeat over the angelic authorities, over the demonic powers, over Satan himself. He is one. This this defeat is so great. Christ has conquered his enemies. This being so great that you have no need of anything else ever again. It is finished. It is done. He has won the war concerning us. This is good news. He again says, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Again, my friends, Christ has conquered and the enemy no longer has anything on us, anything by which he can hold over our heads and say, see, you are still mine. You still haven't gotten free. The enemy is lost. However, there are those who are teaching false doctrines. There are people today who teach false doctrines, implying that Christ was somehow, is somehow not enough, and that these believers are indeed still not complete. They are still lacking in performance. Knowing what Christ has done for you, and that he has conquered Satan and our sin and has satisfied the righteous requirements of the Father, the apostle now applies this truth to them and to their lives in order to protect them from the spiritual abuse of these false teachers. A spiritual abuse which endangers, does not help, but endangers their growth and their maturity. And as I told you, I, I watched this um, on the mega, mega church pastors, the, the prosperity pastors, and you see these things. I, my mind, uh, while we look at Colossians and, and scholars are, they're all over the board as to what exactly this false teaching and this heresy was. But I'm telling you what, Satan is alive and well in this earth. And the heresies that the apostles dealt with back in, in 50, 60 AD are still the same heresies that are around today. Think of all the people in these 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 video clips I watch. Oh, God's God's told me. God's God's got a message for you. And people go, oh, do do tell. What's the message? What's the message? And, and we whore after these people as if they they've really got something to give us. It's amazing to me how pertinent. And how, how timely this is. The spiritual abuse that they bring that endangers the church does not help. And if you've ever known anyone who's been caught up in those systems, what it does and how it drags them away from Jesus Christ and causes them to begin trusting in themselves. is a very pertinent time, a very pertinent message. Paul said concerning, and this is in chapter 2, we've looked at these things. He says these false teachers delude people with persuasive arguments. 
it goes on in verse 8 to say, they take people captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Again, what is their cry? You're not quite good enough. Christ is good, but there's still a little bit more you must do. To which the apostle would argue that in Christ, united to him through faith, you are complete. Hear me say that again. You are complete. In Christ, you are complete. You are good enough. And in him, you have all that you need to continue to grow in godliness. That's it. Well, it's not nearly complicated enough, is it? Maybe if you tried, maybe if I tried to sell you something, right? Maybe if I, I got water and prayed over it and said, this is holy water. Maybe if I gave you a, a holy hanky, you could wipe it on your face and make yourself better. These are what the charlatans sell. But that's not, that's not at all what the Apostle Paul speaks about. He cautions them. And they are, and I've, I've termed them spiritual abusers because they are using the things of God and actually they are leading people into slavery, which is what we see today. When we don't stay with the, with the Lord Jesus Christ, we actually become captives. We become captives. Listen to what he says in verses 16 through 17 as we look at these abusers. He says, Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. They abuse them by censuring them or by shaming them. These false teachers, and how you recognize them is they walk around as if they are high and mighty. They were the arbiters of righteousness. They were apparently in the practice of judging others as falling short. They would pronounce judgment upon others, subject them to censure, find fault with this or with that in others. Here, they had had a standard that consisted of the Mosaic law, either misapplied or putting standards in addition to the word of God, whereby they would find people falling short according to those standards and then judge them as being deficient you're not measuring up I don't know what kind of Christian you think you could possibly be well look at the things that you do look at the things that you eat look at the things that you drink why you don't remember this the Sabbath day right you don't come to our festivals what kind of Christian do you think you could possibly be well, I've never known any Christian who would eat that or drink that. Does that sound familiar at all? Do you have that in, our, in the church today in the United States? Concerning? Listen to what he says. Um, they judge you. Again, therefore no one is to act as your judge. No one should be censuring you in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. It would appear that these false teachers, uh, whose teaching was a mixture of various things, Jewish, pagan, and Christian, hear that the apostle notes that they judge the Christians as not 
keeping dietary laws. They went beyond the Jewish law of clean and unclean foods. As one commentator suggests that these false teachers were more stringent in their regulations so as to promote harsh self-denial, perhaps involving renunciation of animal flesh and of wine and strong drink. Now, if you want to be a good Christian, you stay away from the liquor. You want to be a good Christian, you've got to be a vegan. not you see this is this is what they're saying if you if you want to be holy don't eat meat don't drink wine or other such drinks and furthermore uh, regarding festivals new moons and sabbath days you must you must observe these things and so one commentator again points out think of the passover pentecost the feast of tabernacle uh, tabernacles and some circles i've run in the past the seder meal the meal that the Jews observe on a Friday night before Saturday. Why? Why well, a good Christian would do these things. In fact, it's alarming to me how many uh, believers go back to, to something in, in, in the Old Testament and they pull this thing out and say, well, look what we're doing. Well, we've got the prayer cloths. Well, I, I, we do the Seder meal. It makes for a much richer experience of Christianity. You should try it too. He mentions the new moon, which was at the first of the month, or he mentions a Sabbath day, which I know we've been discussing this in Sunday school, which the commentators I uh, consulted on this do point out that it would be a weekly Sabbath that Paul has in mind here, the seventh day of rest. As Christians, we celebrate the Christian Sabbath which is the first day of the week given to us for our good. Let me ask you this, friends. If I were to have dietary laws, if I were to avoid or abstain from meat, or if I were to abstain from, from drink, if I were to observe certain days over other days, would any of these things, by doing them or not doing them, would they make me more holy before the Lord? Would it make me more acceptable to the Lord? Do they make someone more acceptable to the Lord in your estimation? You look at them. My, my, I'm one of seven children, and my, my older siblings went to Christian school somewhere in the Los Angeles area, and I was little. And they had a dress code that they had to wear. And my sister, I remember sharing this story, how they saw one of the little girls, maybe it was her, in fact, probably it was my sister, who didn't wear the right kind of stockings. She had fishnet stockings. She's like, what, five or six? She had fishnet stockings. Well, how can you be a Christian and wear fishnet stockings, right? Um, we look at other people and we start saying and making this judgment, well, that can't be a very good Christian, can they? There's a lot of similarity here between this text and the Romans 14 that we looked at some months ago. Do these things make us more holy, more acceptable to God? The answer is none of these things do. None of these things do. But the false teachers, you see, this is a message that they promoted. They judged people in this way. And since we have uh, been studying the Lord's Day in Sunday school, I, I feel, as an aside, I, I think I need to say this. The Lord's Day, friends, is a privilege for the Lord's people. We don't observe it 
we don't observe it in order to feel better about ourselves or to make the Lord look upon us more favorably. Why do we come to church? Why do we gather on the Lord's Day? Excellent lesson today in Sunday school. We do it because he has loved us and he has conquered the enemy and brought us to life and secured peace for us with the Father. We, we observe the Lord's Day because we get to observe the Lord's Day and it is a privilege for us. But nowhere, no one should say, you're not a very good Christian if you don't come to church. I would rather want to ask the question, if the Lord has done so much for you, do you understand what he has done? Why aren't you gathering with the Lord's people on the Lord's day to sing the praises of the one who has redeemed your soul from hell? Do you see the difference? It's the same principle behind why we tithe and give offerings. We don't do it so the Lord loves us. We do it because the Lord loves us. Do you see the difference? We should see the difference in this. No one should be holding you to a standard that goes beyond Scripture or that fails to recognize all that has been accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. No one ought to be judging you because of what you eat or drink or what days you do or don't observe. You must not fall under their judgment. You must not cave to it, thinking that you would be better off if you just did these things. After all, what could it hurt? What could it hurt anyways? not realizing that these are the sorts of things that lead us away from a confidence in Christ alone to becoming captives. These things being, says Paul, a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. No naturally conceived man has ever been, uh, has ever been saved by, by observing the law, not the Mosaic law, and not, in this case, a more stringent version of the law. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul would then go on to say in, um, in Galatians 3, saying this. And the question comes, so why the law? Why the law? Why does, why does the Lord give the law? And these people, they're, they're saying we should be keeping the law. But Paul says, no, that's not the point of the law. It was never the point of the law to be able to save you. And people who say this, they're not understanding the point of the law. Listen to what he says in verse 19 of chapter 3 in Galatians. He says, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, 
being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The law, the food, the dietary restrictions, the festivals, the new moon or a Sabbath day were given and served as as shadows of what is to come. The false teachers were saying, you must do these things. And again, be much more stringent than what even the Mosaic law was. You must do these things if you are to be assured that you are right with God, if you are to know that you are really the Lord's and that he's pleased with you. What is a shadow? What's a shadow do? It is an image cast by an object and representing the form of that object. It is a sketch. It is an outline. So I'm working out in my yard. I'm sitting there working and putting stone on the front of my house. The sun is is in the southwest, and I'm sitting here in the shade as I'm putting stone on my house. My wife comes down the stairs, and as she rounds the corner, before she comes to me, I see the shadow of my wife ahead of her. I see her form in the way of shadow coming to me. As she rounds the corner, the shadow is gone, and there's my lovely wife standing in front of me. That's what shadows do. They prefigure things. They come to you before the actual person comes to you. This is the point that Paul is making. Those things, the law of Moses, all of those things, they were tutors, they were, they were ceremonies, they were preparing us, they were a shadow of, of the greater, of the substance, of the actual, in Greek, the body. They were a picture of the body of Christ who was coming. Why in the world would you celebrate? Why would you go back? What children say after they've learned to ride a two-wheel bicycle, say, Daddy, would you put the training wheels back on for me? And yet that's exactly what they were proposing is you, you've tasted, you've seen, you know who Christ is, that in him you are complete, and now you're saying, please take us back. Take us back to forms that, that aren't as clear. Take us back to uh, vagueness. Take us back to things that we're not entirely sure what all they mean. And so this is Paul's point. Here are these people, here they are, they're judging you because you're not doing these things in respect to diets and, and, and days. He says these things are shadows of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. Christ. So why would you go backwards? Why would you trade the reality of righteousness for a shadow of righteousness? Why would you go back to observing dietary laws and observing days when Christ has accomplished all that is necessary for you. Why would you do it? This makes no sense. He says, don't let people judge you. Don't let people shame you into turning from Christ himself to those things which were merely shadows of Christ. And this is fundamentally why I have a big problem with many of our brothers who are, who are, who are dabbling with Old Testament things and saying, well, you know, we could do this and this would be really neat. I'm sorry. I'm again it. 
and I think the scriptures are against it as well because we're trading what is clear and what is sufficient for what is unclear and was never sufficient to be able to deliver us. And it sounds, ooh, isn't that awesome? That's really cool. No, it's not. It's wrong. And we ought to be very careful about those sorts of things. They're abusers. These false teachers were abusers. They were hurting the church. They were trying to take them back. And you do not mature when you go back. You mature when you continue to focus upon Christ. Secondly, look at verses 18 through 19 now. They abuse them by defrauding them of their prize. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of, of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. They abuse them spiritually by defrauding them or disqualifying them or by denying the reality of their salvation. Um, the word defraud is an interesting word. It comes from a word meaning an umpire in a game. And it's only used here in the New Testament. I don't know why, you know, I picture the guy with the stripes. I picture a guy, with, you know, that, that stands behind the, the catcher in baseball. But the meaning comes from an umpire in a game. The umpire decides against one to declare him unworthy of the prize, to defraud the prize of victory. Metaphorically, this word is used to say that these people are defrauding you or depriving you of an understanding of your salvation. Paul is saying, in Christ, you are saved. They are saying, in Christ, you're not saved because he's not enough. They're saying, you're not you're not saved. They're like an umpire saying, out! He's out! Understand, no one can strip you of your salvation. John 10, Jesus said this, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Yet, these false teachers, like salvation umps, defraud the saints by denying that they were ever truly saved. Denying that they are truly the Lord's because these individuals did not follow their teachings, traditions, and practices, thus causing them to feel guilty or shame as though in Christ you are not complete. These are individuals who, in essence, say, look at me. Look at how I've done Follow me, because I've got the answers for you. Do what I do. Then you can know that you are truly a good Christian, that you are truly saved. How do they do it? How do they defraud you? Friends, they show you how spiritual they are and how unspiritual you are. Now, I think about this and I go, do we see this today? Well, I speak in tongues. Not really. I'm using that as an example. Some of you looked at me like, what? <laughs> no. But you're not really spiritual, you understand, if you don't speak in tongues. Well, I, I've got a word from the Lord. God told me I had a vision. 
And what's your natural inclination as soon as that's being said? Boy, I just have my Bible. By the way, does the Lord speak to us today, friends? Yes, of course he does. Does he speak audibly to us? Of course, when the word is read out loud, (laughs) we hear him audibly. But we have all sorts of craziness going on in the Lord's church today of people saying, God's, God's, yes, Lord, yes. I mean, you, you see this on television, this kind of nonsense. And, and, and we're supposed to think, oh, boy, they've got a direct line to the Lord. And, and what it does, it shames us. It makes us think, oh, I'm not really saved because look at them and, and look at me. I'm not, I'm not getting these things. Notice what he says. They, they, they show how spiritual they are and how unspiritual you are because they delight in self-abasement and the worship of angels. First, they delight in self-abasement, abasement, says Paul. That is, they delight in humility or they take pleasure in humility or say it like this, they take pride in their humility. These are people who love to demonstrate for you how humble they are. One commentator said this, Humility is a Christian virtue, but the humility professed by the people here referred to is a counterfeit humility. The truly humble person is unconscious of his or her humility, let alone taking delight or pride in it. And another said this, his humility, this false teacher's humility, was nothing but a thin disguise for an insufferable pride. Do you know anyone like this? There is a man in town, many of you, may know him and I will not say his name but he speaks and acts as if he is a humble servant of the Lord he is a man who has come to me and said the Lord has told him he is a man who has come to me and said the the Lord has given him visions God tells him he says what he should be doing he acts lowly he acts humble he acts contrite until you challenge him with the word and then he gets offended and walks away. I ask a simple question of the man. Where do you go to church? Oh, I don't. No, that's not for me. I go to all the Lord's churches. Is he really a humble servant? Listen, friends. If a man or a woman claims to be humble but doesn't obey the plain teaching of Scripture, he isn't humble. He's proud. That's, that's it. And, and what should your response be to this individual? You need to repent and go to church and obey the Lord. Otherwise, be quiet. I have no use for your, your ramblings. And really, that's as gracious as you can be. Because that's the truth. And, and that's what these people, I'm a, I'm a humble servant of the Lord. Don't you recognize this in me? I'm humble. And so you should really listen to me. How about you listen to God? And then we can talk. That should be the Christian response. Um, Secondly, notice what he says. They also delight or take pleasure in the worship of angels. You mean you don't? You don't worship the angels? What kind of spirituality do you have? This is the kind of burden that was being laid on the, the Christians in the Lycus Valley. Truly, there is much that can be said here regarding the angels. In what sense they were worshipped, again, nobody is quite certain. 
Um, they believe, some believe, that these teachers claimed to be so humble and so far beneath God that they were not able to approach him directly. I would assume that means through Christ, but that they had to seek out contact with the deity through the mediation of angels. Angel worship, we know, has been a practice throughout history. It was a problem in the Lycus Valley where Colossae um, was located. In the second century, Gnosticism conceived of a list of spirit beings who emanated from God and through whom God may be approached. Do you want to approach God spiritually so? Then you must pray, you must worship the angels because God is so far removed, the angels will actually help carry your worship to God. And so it's a good thing to do. After all, we're so humble. I need the angels to help me. But a point must be made. Friends, angels are real. We know they're real. The scriptures speak of them as being real, ministering spirits sent to protect those who will inherit salvation. They are messengers of God. They bring, on occasion, they bring messages to his people, as we've seen in Acts chapter 12. Uh, Good angels are good. Good angels don't receive worship. They won't accept worship. Listen to uh, Revelation 19.10, and it's John speaking. Then I fell at his feet, the angel's feet, to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. That's what a true angel says. Fallen angels are bad. They are demons. They will receive worship and will not lead you to Christ or to worship God, but will lead you from him. They will seek to destroy you. Whatever the reason for the worship of the angels that, was, uh, that the Apostle Paul was addressing, it was wrong. But these false teachers, they saw it as a point in which to take pride. We worship the angels. Third, notice what he says of them, they have visions. Again, Boy, I wish I had some visions. <laughs> All I have is the Bible. You never just have the Bible, right? And so the feeling is is that I'm inferior to all these people who speak in tongues, who have visions, who 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 have contact with angels. Oh, aren't they? And 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 quite frankly, might they be seeing things and might they be receiving messages from angels? Oh, they truly might, but I guarantee you they're not biblical angels. No biblical angel will ever say, worship me, or allow that to take place. He will come and he will say, look at Christ. That's what a biblical angel does. I, don't, I can't attest for what people experience, but I don't doubt that they experience a whole lot of things. I don't doubt Joseph Smith saw an angel, Moroni, but I doubt it was a biblical angel. I, I don't doubt that Muhammad saw an angel. I doubt very seriously it was the Gabriel, Gabriel the archangel, as why they, they preach a different gospel altogether. So these things do go on. Um, but we, we don't pray to them. We don't talk to them. We don't communicate with them. If, if they are to speak to you, God will send them. Acts chapter 12, God will send them with a message. Otherwise, Stay away from that stuff. And don't be hearkening out to them. These people had visions, as I said. 
they take their stand on visions that they've seen or they go into detail and, and again very fascinating this commentator notes that these are the things uh, the one sees or perhaps um, sees with his mind this was a religious term familiar to the Phrygian readers that is those who are uh, the readers that Paul is writing to the readers could catch would catch the suggestion that the person alluded to had formerly entered upon his higher experience like someone being admitted to secret rites from which the vulgar mob was excluded and was now appealing to that superior enlightenment in support of his teaching. In other words, friends, these individuals claim to have special knowledge which you don't. The problem comes, how can you compete with this? They claim that God God told them, and this is supposed to settle the question. He has he's just made himself an authority over you who are just a Bible believer. This person has extra special knowledge. And so forth, he says about these false teachers that they are inflated without cause by their fleshly minds. And why wouldn't he be? He observes diets and days and worships angels and has knowledge and insights no one else has. He is sensual. He lives to feed his flesh. His worship and his works are about him. He is puffed up in his mind. His ego is being stroked. He feeds his pride and secures for himself a following. He thinks after a fleshly manner. William Hendrickson said, This man who pretends to be so very humble is in reality unbearably proud. His mind is inflated with the sense of his own importance as he brags about things he has seen. So what's the problem with this? And, and we're wrapping this up in just a moment. But what's the problem with this? My friends, you can't be into yourself and into the Lord. That's the problem with this. You can't sit there and say, look at my hands have done, look at what I am doing, and then be into the Lord. And this is what Paul is saying to them. This is the problem with these false teachers. To them, Christ is not enough for them. Therefore, they do not hold fast to the head. They don't cling to Christ. This is why we need to be very careful as these uh, individuals will have you following them and not Jesus Christ. Paul has already said, that, that Christ is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Christ has preeminence over all things, and apart from him, we have nothing. Their visions, their rituals, the worship of angels, and the proud humility only separate them and you if you follow them, and thus demonstrating that you were never truly the Lord's, these things lead them away from the source of life in the church that is Jesus Christ himself and he says from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God I'm not a medical doctor but without a head a body doesn't do good can I get an amen amen Without a, without a head, a body does not grow. What, what, what was Satan doing? What was he doing with these people? He was seeking to lead them away from their head. 
seeking to lead them away from Jesus Christ. The body does not grow, but with the head, the body has all that it needs, um, and it grows, it thrives. So you too, my friends, the church has all that it needs when it holds fast to Jesus Christ and is not pulled away from him by anything else. This is what Paul is pointing out. Here these people were judging them. Here these people were defrauding them. And here these Christians are beginning to go, maybe maybe they're right. Maybe I should be avoiding certain foods. Maybe I should start uh, observing certain days. Maybe maybe it would just just help push me over the edge. And slowly they are led away from the Lord. And if you are led away from the Lord, what happens to the individual? What happens to the congregation? What happens to the people when they disconnect themselves from Christ Jesus? I think we know the answer to that. We die. We die. And friends, we must be very careful not to fall prey to these false teachers, these wonder workers, vision seers, super spiritual in their own mind people who take pleasure pleasure in how humble they are. What matters is not what they say or do. What matters is what Christ has done for us. And that's where we camp. That's where we stay put. And and you wonder you wonder so what does this actually have to do with the days in which we're living? As I prepare sermons like this, I look at these verses, and in my mind, I hear people, not actually, it's just, those, it's just thoughts going through my mind, but I hear people, kind of like Paul would anticipate arguments. Um, I anticipate arguments. How is this relevant to us today? There, there's nobody... Nobody's in the church trying to tell us I've I've had a vision and you should listen to me and hey let's go uh, let's go sacrifice something on a hilltop over here in Lander. Nobody's saying things like this, and so I think to myself, oh, they're not going to think this is very relevant. Let me tell you why it's relevant because we have cable television and because we have computers, most of us, and we watch things and we hear people say and lord over us. Oh, let me tell you how spiritual I am and why you ought to send me 1995 and get a prayer cloth from me. And some of you go, oh, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe if I sow a seed, I'll reap a hundred, a hundredfold. I'll be really blessed then. And we fall prey to this nonsense. Don't fall prey to that nonsense. But here's the other thing I want to point out, why this is important for the days in which we live. As we're going through Acts chapter 12 in the evening, you find out, you see in the pages of scripture how essential it is that the body of Christ is important. It is important that each of you be resting in Jesus Christ personally. Do not discount the importance of the body of Christ for your spiritual health. Because the head is not attached to the foot the head is attached to the neck, the neck to the shoulders, the shoulders to the arms and to the trunk, the trunk to the rest of the body. And every part is blessed because every part is working together under the head and is built up. We've said this, and I'll say it again, that when you are isolated from the body of Christ, when you are isolated from the head, Christ himself 
you don't grow, you don't mature, and you don't hold fast. What's the relevance of this for us today? When persecution comes, I fear for those who can't make it a priority to come and worship the Lord. I do. I'm concerned because you are remaining in an infant state and you're not growing in the things of the Lord. I used to be a new believer and I used to question going, gee, maybe they're right in what they're saying. I'm so thankful that I had older men in the Lord who came alongside of me and said, what are you reading in your Bible today? Did you spend any time in prayer? Why weren't you at church? We missed you. Brothers who would slap me on the back and laugh, laugh with me and laugh at me and and poke holes and stupid things I said. I need that. You need that. You sisters need that. Because a day is coming when we are going to be sifted. And if you're not grounded in who Jesus Christ is, you will likely be led astray. And it's important today. And it's important next Sunday, the Lord's Day, to gather and worship our risen Savior, our King. Why? Because, friends, he's enough. He is all we need, and he's done it. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, again for your kindness to us and for your great love. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us for playing games and being stupid. Forgive us, Lord, for when we have bought the lies of people who claimed that they were speaking for you, but they did not stand in your presence, who did not sit under your word, who did not obey your word, but who offered up worship and and claimed to have visions and claimed to hear things and to say that they were extra close to you, but they have no mention of Jesus. Well, Father, we ask that you will forgive us. We pray, Lord, that you will help us not to be duped and not to be led astray from our head, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would not allow people to throw shackles on us because we know, Lord, that these things will not make us more pleasing to you, for Christ has done it in our stead. We thank you again for this time and for your word, and I pray, Lord, that your blessing be upon your people. I pray that you would keep them and help them hold them close to you and we pray O Lord that you would create in our hearts each heart uh, an insatiable desire to know and walk with you that we would Lord not delight in our humility or delight in anything else but that we would delight in Jesus Christ our Savior and I pray all of this now in his name Amen